Welcome to the Health and Wellness Practitioners Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Danielle Angela. In this show, I and my guest experts will talk about everything from getting your practice started to developing your clinical skills, growing your practice your way, and of course, dealing with the real stuff like burnout and work-life balance. Whether you've been practicing for decades or just started your journey, you'll find something here for you. So take a deep breath and enjoy the show. I am bringing you a new guest to the podcast today. Um, his name is Zach Schreier, and we are going to talk about taking your own health struggles and using them for the greater good, helping other people with what you've learned through the process of, of healing yourself, which for a lot of you is how you got into the modality that you practice in the first place, right? So before we go any further, we're going to dive into the rapid fire questions and question number one, Zach, is when there are so many career paths available in the health and wellness industry, why did you choose the path that you're on now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, let me see if I can rapid fire as requested. Um, I, th- I think the reason is I, I like creating stuff and um, I, you know, especially like like physical products and, and goods. And so, you know, entrepreneurship just made sense for me uh, for that reason. Awesome. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about what excites you or fills you up. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, I, I'm really, I really like, um, uh, like intellectual projects and creative projects and I guess making progress on those really fills me up. Mm, yeah, of course. That's what makes you a good entrepreneur. <laughs> All right. Question three, what do you like the least about running a business? Um, it's pretty incessant. Uh, and so the, you know, I really haven't taken much time off, uh, like where I don't feel like an obligation to make progress on, on the business. Um, really ever like not not in years can I think of like a three-day stretch when I wasn't kind of focused on making progress yeah I hear that and a lot of people in our audience struggle with that too listen I'm not exempt from it I'm always and forever asking people telling people advising people to take time off from their practice proactively like they're not sick and having to cancel their appointments they are planning ahead to take time off to rest and recover especially for the chiropractors and other hands-on practitioners, because they have such a physical demand on their body um, to do the work that they do. But I also struggle myself to think like proactively and to take that time off. And when I do schedule the time off to actually have it truly be completely time off, it, it like, I always am like, well, I could sneak this meeting in there because I have nothing else going on that week. And then it kind of starts to fill in. <laughs> so yeah, it can be very insidious. All right. Question four, what book do you think everyone should read? Gosh, there's there's a handful. Let me name this sort of category of books actually that I've I just gotten into last year, which is these uh, biographies of uh, 20th century scientists. So um, specifically, I, I loved uh, this book about John von Neumann called Man from the Future by uh, an author called uh, Bhattacharya. That was so, so good. Um, you know, I, I'm quite inspired by these books because, um, I, you know, the 20th century was a, a time in history when you know, humanity was uh, tapping into the kind of open-ended, um, like, uh, ability of science and tech to just fundamentally change the way our lives go and, and you know, what we can do. Um, and so, and, and I love these thinkers and the way that they basically handled and, and searched these domains and came back with these brilliant insights. So uh, von Neumann and then also um, Richard Feynman, and I just read Oppenheimer. Um, and then also uh, there's an Einstein book um, by Walter Isaacson, who does a lot of these biographies and all of those books. I, I just like felt 
were so uplifting. So I'd recommend those. Yeah, cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's um, definitely a unique genre of books <laughs> and not one that has been mentioned on the podcast before. Cool. Okay. Last question is on a scale of zero to 10, how crunchy are you? I'm like a five, I'd say. <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out more about that as we start our conversation and learn more about who you are and what you do. Um, so as I let everyone know, in the title of the video, the live stream in the Facebook group, you were a contestant on Shark Tank in 2021. So give us the story of how that happened. How did you find yourself on Shark Tank? Sure. Yeah. I guess in order to set the stage for that uh, whole um, journey, probably starts in sixth grade for me. So I was I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes as a young kid. And uh, basically for the audience, um, you know, type 1 is... Uh, basically requires you to be dependent on insulin. So there's no there's no way to just you know manage it with lifestyle alone. Your pancreas basically doesn't produce any insulin pretty shortly after diagnosis. And so you have to you know perform that function that your body was previously performing, which is to for, for every carb that you take into your body that turns into blood glucose and you need to calibrate or uh, basically um regulate that blood glucose by uh by you know injecting the right amount of insulin to take that glucose and shuttle it into the cells. So, uh, yeah, basically that, that was sort of, uh, a health, um, you know, journey or, um, that sort of health problem that was thrust on me pretty young. And so it was all about like learning what I need to learn to, uh, like always be doing this balancing act in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one thing about that is that, uh, you learn pretty quickly that high glycemic carbs are kind of the enemy. Like you don't want to have carbs that just like rapidly spike your sugar. And the reason is actually that the the, um, the, the action of the insulin in the bloodstream, um, takes a couple hours actually for the insulin to, to be basically fully, uh, used up and to bring sugar back down. Um, but, uh, rapidly absorb carbs like soda, for example, take like 15 minutes and then you've got this massive sugar spike that's quite immediate. And so yeah. I, the best thing to do is to be able to offset, um, the, um, the glucose, uh, being deposited in the bloodstream with insulin. Um, and to have that glucose be deposited slowly, which means fiber, protein, fat, and not just straight carb. Um, so anyways, low carb snacks were really, um, quite a a beneficial, um, thing for me to have because of that. And even actually no carb foods in general, like eggs, for example. And so I was making a lot of eggs and I realized that those like crispy bits of omelet that would coat the pan crunched (laughs) like chips, um, even though, you know, they didn't have any carbs. And so I was like, oh, maybe I can make some, some low carb chips out of, out of Mm -hmm. these, uh, these eggs. And so that ended up being the, the idea for my first business and um, kind of played around with that maybe when I was in middle school. And then right as I was going to college, decided to revisit that idea. And uh, actually, just two years later, it was a full-fledged business. Um, we were producing in a commercial kitchen space and distributing the product uh, to retailers and online. And then we applied to Shark Tank and uh, they accepted us. So, yeah. I think that um, the process of creating a, a physical product is way different than, well, clearly it is way different than um, what most of the people in our audience are doing, which is a service-based business, right? And yet they want to, or like they kind of, they dream about having some kind of product that they can sell because it doesn't, at least in their minds, require more effort from them to sell more, to increase revenue. Whereas like a massage therapist as you can imagine, they can only make as much money as they can see clients, 
the, the number of appointments on their schedule is the limitation, right? So I'm curious what you would say about that from your perspective in regard to getting a product-based business off the ground that was solely your own invention. Is it as um, time freedom-based as people would like to believe that it is? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, um, I used to... So my parents are in services also that, you know, they sell physical goods, but it's, it's a, a kind of, um, uh, so it's a floor covering business. And so, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's more similar to, uh, kind of this like constrained by time and by staff kind of, uh, business than a CPG company where, you know, in CPG, you can scale that thing up from, from zero to, to, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars annually. And of course that does require a team of people, but you're not really quite as restricted, like, you know, the machines that are making the stuff can, can churn out just thousands and thousands of packages. And then you can ship those across the country easily and distribute them everywhere. So there, there is this opportunity for scale. Um, and that, that was part of what was attractive to me about, about physical goods and, um, you know, distribution like this. Uh, and recently I've been sort of, uh, almost like, um, like not that I ever had experience in the, in the space, but almost like a kind of like twinge of nostalgia for something simpler and something, something, um, like a uh, more, more, um, grounded, more, uh, sort of fundamental, like, like services. Um, and, uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe I'd say some of the mystique of, of like entrepreneurship has gone away as I've realized just how difficult it is. Um, and, and so, I uh, I think, but at the same time, I think you're totally right that, uh, if you're restricted by your own labor, then you're going to find yourself putting in more and more hours and then t- reaching the ceiling of what you can, what you can do with that, with that time in terms yeah. of revenue generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it leaves you basically with two choices. You can continue to add more appointments. You can increase your fees for services. You could do both. And you could, in some cases, reduce your appointment time. So it doesn't really work for massage therapists. You know, I, I like use this as a specific example. Um, massage therapy as an industry, there's an expectation that you get a certain amount of time from your massage therapist. In chiropractic, acupuncture, that's not the case. We can do things to help reduce our appointment times, but ultimately there's still only so many people we can squeeze onto our calendar when, um, you know, even when our appointments are as short as we can get them to be while still providing quality care too. Uh, All right. So um, let's talk a bit about what your, how can I say, like your company portfolio looks like now. You have the company that you started initially that created the egg white chips, if we can call them that. And then um, where have you gone since then? What else have you done? Yeah, sure. Um, actually, one, one thing I'll say on the last point as well is um, I, I think as you're thinking about bringing a business into the world, especially with products, um, it's really important to note that there's going to be a lot of fixed costs. And yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, you need to be able to pass through that that territory of getting that thing off the ground and all those fixed costs. And you need to see some light at the end of the tunnel where essentially at some scale, the variable costs are going to be low enough that you're going to end up being able to turn a profit that, that covers all of your, uh, your fixed costs. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, I, I recently, um, I think uh, on a recent podcast, I can compare this to um, sort of what life does in the universe. Um, it's, and you have to go from zero to one. Um, as you're starting a company where one is basically something that can continuously procure the resources it needs to sustain itself. And zero is where you're at right now, where, you know, you don't, that thing doesn't exist yet. And so you need to basically figure out 
you know, it's essentially a creature that could exist, but doesn't. And it's up to you to kind of like do the like rapid consolidated evolutionary process to bring that thing into the world and make it a successful or viable entity. And so, you know, the most important thing at the end of the day, really the only thing is that um, there's a way for revenue to exceed cost. Um, Like otherwise it's just doesn't work. So in CPG uh, consumer packaged goods, you really have to focus quite a bit on margin and recognize all the different places where you're going to end up sacrificing margin. So you've got, you know, you got the list price that the consumer sees. So let's call it a hundred dollars for something or a dollar. Um, and then whoever's distributing that is going to take their cut. Uh, so it's, if it's uh, whole foods that you're selling into now, you're actually whole foods is actually paying 50 bucks for that hundred dollar item. And yeah. then there's going to be some distributor that brings it to them and they're going to take their cut. So now you're going to sell it to the distributor for 40 bucks. Um, and then you got your costs as part of that. And then you also need to reserve some room for marketing and, and acquisition costs. So now all of a sudden you need like your cost needs to be like, 20% of what the, what the uh, end user pays for it to be viable. And mm-hmm. so it's, you know, it's a, that's a difficult thing, um, uh, especially as you're competing against established players who have already optimized along all these lines. I think basically you have to be, either you have to find something that is totally undersaturated or you can step in and solve some need that's unmet, um, or you have to be ready to lose a lot of money. So you have to fundraise, you have to bootstrap yourself. Um, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that people get into this space. Um, unless they're really willing to, you know, I think, uh, hear a lot of advice from a lot of people that have been in the space and say all the reasons not to do it. And if you can overcome all those things, then, uh, then maybe you've got a shot, but it's tough. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, but thank you for sharing that because, um, we need to hear the real life behind the scenes stuff, not just what, you know, looks great on social media or like what the end result is that, um, can be coveted. It's like, we don't know all of the work that went on behind the scenes to get to that, um, that achievement or that accomplishment. I was kind of also having like a <laughs> mind expansion moment as you were talking about going from zero to one and relating that to quantum physics. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with quantum physics, but basically like what we focus on, what we put our attention on consistently, we can sort of pull out of the quantum field and manifest into reality, right? And that's really what entrepreneurship is. Like you're putting all of your focus on something to create something that didn't exist before. So you've done that once with your first company and how did you know that it was time to move into something else from there? Yeah, actually, you know, so the same year that I, um, so I, uh, I took a year off of college to work on uh, the uh, the uh, egg chips, uh, they're the egg white chips, I should say. Um, and uh, then I went back to school, actually, um, and continued to be a board member. And my, my co-founder actually continued on full time as our CEO for, for five years. Um, and uh, basically, that same year that I started that company, I also started exploring the supplement space. And the, the reason really, really was that um, you know, during my first two years of college, I had dabbled a little bit with some mind altering substances of different sorts and recognized the benefits and, you know, enjoyed some of the performance benefits actually of using something like modafinil, for example. Uh, but I wanted to figure out whether I could, uh, basically have a, a daily stack of, of supplements and other habits that would allow me to el- access those elevated performance states, uh, without some of the drawbacks that are usually associated with like, you know, say Adderall, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started exploring that space. And, uh, you know, I brought in a hundred different ingredients and kind of mixed powders in, in my, in my room at home and, you know, ended up taking that back to school and, and continue to work on kind of making my own supplement stacks. And then, um, realized that, uh, 
uh, actually, we, we created a product. So um, we, we created a capsule product called Flow and another capsule product called Chill. And, um, you know, we, we started selling to, you know, college kids and um, created a small business out of that. But it was kind of an uphill battle to, to sell like capsules. Um, you know, it's like, who, who were we to create those sorts of products and that, that kind of thing. So we realized that um, in order to drive adoption, in order to make uh, reduce the barriers to people trying this stuff, we thought it would be uh, easier if the format was more food-like. So if we could say, hey, you know, have this bar or have this gummy or whatever, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, got, it's going to benefit your focus or it's going to help you with overall health. That, that seemed to be more compelling uh, and easier to um, sort of spread proposition than like capsules. And uh, then, we, then we had another sort of insight, which was that coffee is already the nootropic occasion of choice for most consumers. So like 70% of Americans have coffee every day for daily energy. So we're like, okay, we're creating energy products. Why don't we infuse a coffee creamer with these ingredients that we want to use for daily focus and energy? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, the, that's the product that we ended up um, launching. In 2021, uh, we created like a beta version of that and launched it on Amazon. And then two years later, we um, we actually, so just this March, so literally uh, just a month ago, uh, we, we relaunched that product, uh, a new and improved version in terms of the flavor and texture. Um, so the first version was like really effective and people loved the way it felt. And then the second version, uh, we made sure it was absolutely delicious and like the very best thing you could add to your coffee, both on the, the flavor top side and on the effect side. That's pretty amazing. And I can only, uh, again, imagine the process that you've had to go through to get, actually, I guess, both um, products, right? Like the egg white chips and also um, the, what like, what can we say? How, what's the category that this is? That it's like a Generally, product. Like add the coffee. We say like add the coffee, you know, add the coffee products. Um, I think the, the, there's a, a concept called standard of identity in, in food. Um, that the FDA actually enforces. I mm-hmm. think we are technically not a coffee creamer for that reason, because okay. um, that, that um, we probably could say non-dairy coffee creamer if we wanted to. Um, yeah. But add to coffee is probably the more general category. And, okay. and that's sort of like, you could think of like collagen creamers and that sort of thing as kind of analogous products where mm-hmm. you're getting some functional benefit by adding something to your coffee. And in this case, we've, we've chosen to align that functional benefit with the reason you were having the coffee in the first place, which was focus and energy. Yeah. So you mentioned the FDA and that's where I was kind of going with this. Like I can only imagine what that process is like to um, do whatever it is you need to do. I don't even know where you would start to get approval from the FDA to package something like this and be able to sell it on a platform like Amazon and not just like out of your basement. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about what that, what that process was like? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess the, the thing to note here is that, you know, people, people say stuff like, you know, supplements are totally unregulated and that kind of thing. You hear yeah. that. Um, and that's, I guess that's, that's true sort of um, like, you know, pot- potentially um, if you wanted to, you could make something and sell it in your basement and that sort of thing. But if you really want to get to scale in the supplement uh, space, you need to work with manufacturers that, that have good manufacturing practices. So you, you go and find somebody accredited, that the FDA has basically audited and approved. Um, potentially, you would look for other certifications like NSF. Um, and so that's what we're doing in, in our case. So we're working with a manufacturer that is a turnkey manufacturer. So we tell them, you know, this is what we want in the product. Here's the specs. Um, you know, here's here's everything we formulated. Here's the suppliers we want to work with. And they say, okay, that's great. You know, we'll put this through all of our processes. We'll do all of the batch testing as the stuff coming in. You know, test for microbial activity, test for heavy metals, all that stuff. Test on the way out. 
So it is a pretty stringent process because we're working with an accredited manufacturer. Um, and in terms of the relationship with the FDA, they submit the label that we use to the FDA. Uh, there is no like formal approval process, but that said, you do have to stay within certain bounds when you're working with these ingredients that are that are recognized as safe and approved for use by the FDA. So like, you know, if, if we wanted to, you know, use supplements in the wrong way, we could effectively make a poison. You know, that that is something that you can do. Um, but the F, as you submit that label to the FDA, um, they'll say, oh, no, you can't you can't do that. Um, like that's not in our bounds of what is acceptable to be used in a dietary supplement. Actually, the manufacturer in the first place wouldn't let you do that uh, is, my, is my guess. So um, but yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be using some of the ingredients, misusing some of the ingredients by using them in the wrong doses and the wrong combinations that could be harmful. Um, uh, but that's uh, that's definitely prohibited by the processes that we, we've got in place. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing a bit more about that. So um, knowing that you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when um, I think you said you were in sixth grade at that time. So you've been living a, a large um, portion of your life with a condition um, that is, uh, as far as we know, incurable, and then also started to companies um, in adulthood. Can you speak a bit about what you have done or what you found to be helpful for you in maintaining your own health despite the stress of dealing with the FDA, for example? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, unfortunately when it comes to health, there are actually, let, let me say a little more about, um, sort of how I view like, uh, uh, like the human circumstance in a sense. Um, so we're, we're what, uh, you'd call a non-equilibrium or a far from equilibrium system. Um, so this is sort of back to the physics talk, uh, um, <laughs> Basically, uh, there, there's kind of two categories of things in the universe, and this might this might sound simple, but it's actually um, this is um, uh, you know Einstein said uh, had this idea of like as simple as possible and no simpler, um, and that's I think what we're shooting for as we create theories that are supposed to explain what's going on. We want to make sure that we're not ignoring uh, crucial complexity, but that we're actually um, handling that complexity in as few terms as possible. Otherwise, it's unwieldy. So you know that. Um, so, anyways, yeah, there, there's um. A framework I think that is actually applicable and uh, helps to basically categorize the different kind of physical dynamics that different things in the universe um, uh, are exhibiting, and that is basically uh, systems that are at equilibrium um, at, um, and systems that are at, uh, exhibiting a non-equilibrium steady state. So basically, an equilibrium system is something that's settled to its lowest energy state. So, like you know, if you think of like uh, you know, let, let, I'll leave a, an ice cube out, it will melt, and then there's going to be a puddle of water, right? And then that will evaporate, and then it will be in some cloud, you know? And so th this system has basically, um, the entropy of that system has increased, where it was in, a, in an ordered configuration of like being an ice cube, um, where energy had to go in to create that order. And then over time, uh, basically, that thing becomes more disordered, the entropy in the system goes up, and then you see it basically settle into its lowest energy state. Um, now with a human, so it, notably like everything in the room around me is like the same temperature, right? Because everything, uh, oh, getting a call here from my business partner or <laughs> that, um, uh, so, uh, so er, yeah, basically every, everything, um, everything settles into a low, low energy state and equilibrate, whatever, whatever. Um, uh, so, you know, the, the things, things, uh, but, uh, but notably, like I'm here in this room and I'm 98 degrees right now. Right. And so I've evidently not had my heat dissipate. Um, I've not settled into my lowest energy configuration. And so I'm still preserving this relatively low entropy state that, that makes me up. 
And so these are the two categories of things in physics, basically. You've got equilibrium systems and non-equilibrium systems. And in order to be a non-equilibrium system, you have to have some strategy or some bundle of strategies for maintaining this differentiation from the environment over time. So you have to figure out how you can be an ice cube that stays frozen even at room temperature, or in this case, the opposite. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out how you can keep your heat despite this um, this pressure to dissipate. Um, and so uh, basically um, what this means in the, in, the, in the case of humans is we've got all these things that we have to do in order to maintain this distance from equilibrium in order to basically stay alive. So we're talking nutrition, we're talking sleep, we're talking exercise, hydration, all these different things. And unfortunately, our non-equilibrium steady state is made of all of these things, not just one of them. So you can't you can't ignore any of these elements. You really have to optimize along all of them in order to occupy the, the highest energy states that you can. And I think there, you know, I, I'm mixing metaphors a little bit, but there is a, a kind of a through line from the uh, from this idea of like maintaining far from equilibrium and maintaining performance. So if you want to be as robust as possible as the kind of like uh, continuous loop that you are as a human being, you want to be able to push the, your energy states up to the highest level and sustain them. Now, I could take Adderall today and I would be like at a higher level than would be sustainable, right? Uh, but of course, that thing's going to come crashing back in. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to maintain that that excessively high sort of energy state. Um, so what I want to do is find a, a sort of suite of things that are repeatable that I can use to, to support my, my highest sustainable performance. Um, so you just got to basically figure out your limit of energy expenditure and figure out what you can do to support that. Um, and, you know, not go too much further, but also don't settle for being too, like don't settle for being too um, uh, sort of uh, reduced and crashed, uh, burnt out. Um, you know, if you find yourself in a position like that, you have to figure out how to basically, um, you know, recover, how to bounce back, um, how to find some sort of upward spiral back to like your full capacity, basically. Sorry, that's a long answer, but that, that's my thoughts. No, on that. that's awesome. I love the analogy about the ice cube. And uh, I can hear the sports performance gurus in the audience that are like wanting to hear more. And they've got all these ideas and, <laughs> like, um, and like rabbit holes that they want to go down with this conversation in regard to human performance um overall and you know how do how do we keep ourselves from getting to the point where like we do crash or um just you know the day-to-day of raising kids and having gone through really stressful college degree programs and um then board exams and now having a very busy practice and the stress of filing your tax return this week or whatever you know whatever is going on people that um and get into sometimes their 30s, but oftentimes their 40s and 50s. They're like, I, I cannot sustain this anymore. I quit. Like, I just give up. I can't keep going. Uh, and so there's a lot that we could say about all, all of that, right? But I think your perspective on that is is really unique. So thank you for sharing what you did. Um, so, okay. So having, having said that, um, can you kind of like... Uh, crystallize like what does it look like in your own life right now to run two companies and um to sustain your own health and and to make sure that you aren't finding yourself in that position in the future where your energy level is not what it used to be right yeah um i think for me it's definitely starts with sleep and i think that's probably across the board you know if i'm not if i'm not sleeping well um then you know i just can't expect myself to have you know, the output that I, I know I'm capable of. I, I think I'm more sensitive to that than most people my age might be. I, I just like feel pretty acutely 
less capable, like immediately if I get less than seven hours, uh, like, um, now that, you know, that said occasionally, especially if there's a lot going on, that's like actually inviting instead of just stressful, then mm-hmm. I can, I can get by on six. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I was recently at a, a trade show and I love being at those, those shows. Like it's the energy is just so high. And like, I was not sleeping, you know, my full like, seven hours, uh, or eight. Um, uh, but I, but I felt good for a few days. Right. Um, but now, you know, back at home and kind of just like on the hook for doing all the things I'm supposed to do each day. If I'm not coming into the day rested, I'm just like not able to get it up to do everything that I, I need to do. Um, so that's one piece. I think, you know, good nutrition is another crucial aspect for me. Um, like if I don't, if I don't eat well, then I notice it also uh, similar to sleep and then staying active, of course. Um, I think also um, one uh, frameworks for, for like, for um, handling the to-do list are really important for me. So maybe unlike um, many of the listeners of the, of the show who like have a ver- like just incessant obligations on the schedule each day, seeing patients and they just have to show up and do that well, yeah. you know, I, I don't have all that many things each day where I have to be a certain place at a certain time, do a certain thing. Um, so it's much more about like sort of uh, organizing my day such that I get the things done that I need to get done. Um, and so actually, but uh, for me, I can be quite easily overwhelmed by just how long that list is of things I'm supposed to do over the next month. And so yeah. it helps actually, if I ignore almost everything that I have to do and just put a few things front and center that I actually feasibly can do today. So whatever, whatever I can't do today, I shouldn't be looking at, I shouldn't be attending to. And so I, now I use this framework um, of opportunities and obligations where, you know, I've got, I've got just a few um, opportunities that I've listed where when I, when I've got surplus time, which I hope to carve out most days, um, those are the things that I'm supposed to be leaning into and working more seriously on. And then the obligations are the things that run it, that are just running all the time that like yeah. whenever they come in, I need to handle them. Um, and so I'm trying to keep those lists as short as possible and then keep a, another list of like future obligations and opportunities to pull up as the list gets thinner up top. Um, so that, that helps me because I, I just, it's, it's totally easy to get overwhelmed by everything going on and, uh, you know, you, you you can't do more than you're capable of of doing. I mean, you can for a day, but then you you'll you're, you'll burn out more quickly. And so it's it's good to figure out what that highest level of output is that you can reasonably sustain and expect yourself to do that and no more. Yeah, and entrepreneurship is like a marathon; it's not a sprint. Some of us approach it like a sprint in the beginning, like we're just going to run as fast and as hard as we can to get to some arbitrary benchmark, which usually hasn't been identified. And then find like, oh, I actually can't run anymore because now I've gotten injured or like I'm just completely depleted. I'm out of energy. I can't keep going. But if we think of it as a marathon instead, then we know that we have to pace ourselves and we've got to get out the gate at like, yes, a reasonable pace, but that has to be a sustainable pace for the long term, for the long haul, because there's really not a finish line. I mean... And it doesn't matter what kind of business you have, whether it's product-based, service-based, a hybrid, uh, something online or in-person, it's, there's no finish line. You, you get to one level and then you realize like, oh, and now we can grow to this next level if we do this. (laughs) Totally. Yes. I'm actually, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, uh, I'm I'm a frameworks person. Like I I really like sort of this idea of like as simple as possible, no simpler. I've tried to do that for a number of different questions and areas of life. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm a distance runner and actually mm-hmm. in high school and college specifically. And so I worked pretty hard to to 
strip that area bare and figure out what the sort of uh, it's kind of general um, uh, theory of training uh, uh, would look like and how to how to implement that. And I think this um, there there's a real analogy here to the rest of life. Um, so you know, basically the way I see it is uh, there's a you've got a capacity curve, and that capacity curve basically represents what's possible for you to do. Um, and you can you can have a flat capacity curve where you've got like a sort of like um, this is on one axis you've got duration and the other you've got speed, and you you can only maintain a certain duration for uh, I'm sorry a certain speed for a certain duration. So maybe you can run a, a five minute mile and you can run a, a eleven minute two mile and you can run a um, a three hour marathon. You know those are all different points of the capacity curve. But um, you know let's say let's say you were to run a second race that same day. Um, with, with like a, a little bit of a, uh, uh, time in between to recuperate. Now you've, you've added a time dimension to this where your capacity, um, uh, but, but what's crucial about this is that you can't, um, it's not the same curve at a second, uh, a second time because there's this recovery or this, um, this, uh, this sort of, um, expenditures, uh, that would actually compromise future, uh, uh, parts of the curve. Now, let's say, let's say you do some training and you recover and then you're better than you were. Now all of a sudden, the curve at a future time is actually higher than it was in the past. So the really important thing is to add this time dimension to the capacity curve. Understand the way in which what you do right now will impact the future uh, a capacity that, that you've got to work with. I think as we're planning a training schedule or as we're creating a life structure for ourselves, the really crucial thing is to make sure that we're trending upwards on the capacity curve. Meaning we have to we have to do things that we can recover from in reasonable amounts of time. You know, if we do a sprint and it drains us, then, you know, we might've done more in that day than we otherwise do in a normal day, but we might've lost a few days of, of energy. Uh, now it's always, it's possible to spread for weeks or months in a row and then find yourself burnt out for a few months as well. And so it's good to think, about, I think it's important to modulate some, you know, sometimes <laughs> days are going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to take recovery, but, um, you know, macroscopically you want to have a reasonable load and, and not more than you can handle for, for weeks or months in a row. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes for running, but also for running a business too. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Zach, um, I think I've asked you all the questions that I wanted to ask you today. Is there anything else that you want to contribute to this conversation before you wrap it up? Uh, yeah, let's see. Well, lots of different things come to mind. Um, uh, let me see. Yeah. Well, okay. I actually, one, one thing that's been interesting to me recently is, is the sort of, um, is the nutritional side of feeling good, um, and, and raising our capacity, um, and trying to basically get a framework in place for understanding that as well. And the way, the way I think it may make sense to handle this area is to, um, look at a few different categories of, of nutrients. So things that you absolutely need. So like the essentials, um, things that play a helpful but non-essential role in optimizing metabolism, and then things that are specifically designed to set state. So like um, help to get your get your mindset right. Um, and I, I, I'm finding these uh, tools to be also quite helpful for just maintaining a relatively higher performance uh, baseline on a daily basis. Um, and I, I think it like part of, um, you know, part of burnout potentially is just the the demand that you've placed on your time, exceeding the supply that you're capable of uh, of sustaining. And yeah. uh, you can you can you can act on either side of that. So you you can try and sometimes alleviate the demand and take some rest and then recuperate. Um, you can also try and bolster the supply side by having more of the right n- nutrition. Um, so I think some things for people to focus on probably uh, protein consumption. Just keep that like in mind. 
um, probably not, um, uh, not being too calorie restricted all the time. Um, I think it's quite easy for people to like get in that mindset of like, you know, always, always under eating. And I, I think, you know, as a health intervention, under eating is sometimes a good thing, but you probably want to modulate that and make sure you're often having enough calories and definitely having the, having the right kinds of uh, nutrients, um, you know, whether you're under or overeating or eating, you know, uh, the right amount. So that's protein, that's your minerals, that's vitamins, of course. Um, uh, and then on the metabolic side, you know, loving certain adaptogens like ginseng and rhodiola, um, chilogy, things like that. And then uh, those that overlaps as well with, with setting state. Um, so they're like, you know, using, using caffeine the right way. So not, not excessive doses um, and using it around performance occasions in particular, and then nootropics as well. So uh, this is stuff we're exploring at Lifestacks um, with starting with this coffee creamer, but I guess it's, uh, I just want to put my finger on that as a different place people can look to yeah. enhance and support performance. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for bringing that up. And I think if I understand it correctly, there is a place that our listeners can go to get a special giveaway from Lifestacks. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're doing a try before you buy it offer on the website. And so you can go to lifestacks.com and basically add it to your cart. You just pay shipping. And uh, if you like it, you keep it and pay, but otherwise you can just, uh, you know, no, no, no questions asked. We'll just, you know, ha- thanks for trying. No problem. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll be sure to include the link to the creamer in the show notes so that people who are coffee drinkers, um, maybe even non-coffee drinkers, I don't know how else you would (laughs) consume it, but um, they can go check out the product that you have created. Zach, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. It's been really, really fun to talk with you. It's been a very uh, insightful and unique um, conversation. And I know that our listeners are going to be really excited to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. If you love this podcast, then be sure to join our free community, the health and wellness practitioners group over on Facebook, where you can continue the discussion and get to know other people in the community as well. We're a group of chiropractors, naturopaths, acupuncturists, midwives, doulas, massage therapists, mental health therapists, counselors, nutritionists, and the list goes on. So come join us, get to know other people, build some personal and professional relationships. You can find the group by heading to drdanielleangela.com forward slash community and request to join the group. I will see you inside from there.